following is a live copyrighted presentation. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time now for Radiolawtalk.com with your host, Frederick Penny, attorney at law. And now, Radiolawtalk.com. Welcome this May 4th, 2019 to Radio Law Talk. Myself, uh, I'm here. I'm just myself, Fred Penny. We've got Todd Cunin. We've got Denise Dirks. We have Cal Hunter. We've got Donna Hunter, our call screener. And I'm not talking very loud. Cal but, but always has you, to up and push my, my mic up and down all the time. But if you're here by yourself, then that means Denise and I are just the voices in your head. Hello, Fred. Where's the new, 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 new? Where the Fred. black matter. <laughs> hey, Fred, how are you? Todd Dark Matter Cunin. <laughs> I'm the devil on his left shoulder. Denise is the angel on the right angel shoulder. Angel of light and dark yes. matter. We've got angel of light, Dirk, Denise Dirks, and dark matter Cunin. Go ahead and do it, Fred. You know you want to. You know why Todd's so weird is because he has kitties, two of them. He does? And they, they're in charge of his life. And, and, mm. and you know what? I Actually, I have three. Yes. He does have I have a little zoo going at my house. My daughter actually started an Instagram account called Teensy Zoo <laughs> because of all the animals. <laughs> what we got? We got three cats, a dog. If you count the cats, the dogs at her mom's house, you got three cats, three dogs, two geckos, a rabbit. Oh come um, on! Yeah, we're we're, we're we're and you, Todd. Where do you fit in? <laughs> where do I fit in? I would be in the uh, doesn't matter category. I, you know, <laughs> well, we, now Radio Law Talk's been going on almost well, two years now. We've been doing Radio Law Talk for two years. The most famous Instagram or tweet photo of all time was of Todd, who shows a picture to all of his fans out there of his. <laughs> Bed, all messed up, and cats asleep on it. And everyone's like, "Why did?" And then he got more comments, not about the cats. Is like, "Do you ever make your bed?" No. <laughs> what what? does Todd's cat see? I don't know. Meow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you big. Uh, all, right, all right, all right. Look, look. I will say this. I, I read uh, there was a military general. I think it was. Who said that if you get up and make your bed every day, you'll be more productive because you've already accomplished your first task. And I'll be honest, when I do that, I do have a more productive day. But that's your te- second task of the day. Well, the first task is just getting out. Well, <laughs> it's, it, going it's, to the bathroom. It's, it's, well, well, yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's my it's my one half of my push-up regimen. I do one push-up a day, one in the morning, and then at night, oh, I'm done, and I go back down. So, um, but <laughs> no, your first task is moving all the kitties around to get out of the bed. No, I don't let the cat sleep in the. Well, no, now I do. Okay, but whatever. No wonder he doesn't have oh, a girlfriend. Oh, stop it. I, now I see why he doesn't have a girlfriend. He is know. single, ladies out there. He is single. Well, Talk. you know, you know I'll, I'll tell you what. <laughs> I'm sorry, it was too easy, Todd. I, I know, he just teed easy. that one up for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, well, I'll tell you I'll tell you why. I'll tell you one of the one of the reasons, and Denise, this kind of has to do with you a little bit. Uh-oh. So, Uh-oh. so when, uh, when, when we started Radio Get Locked, ready with the creepy music. Okay, so yeah, when we, we started Radio Radio Law Talk, and we're all getting to talk and getting to know each other, and De- Denise and Fred knew each other for a while, and I knew Fred, and I knew Denise a little bit, but then I get to know Denise a little bit more, and she's like, well, starts to ask me, well, 
what kind of girls do you like? And I can already see, I can see the engine and the gears turning in her mind. You know, oh, brother, I'm going to get set up. Here come the blind dates. It's going to happen. And I thought, what is kryptonite? to any setup attempt. What will ward them off? Because I know darn well, she's like, well, here's his Instagram account. You can go ahead and take a look at it. And if you think it's cute, I'll go ahead and set up. A so bed I, you know what? He's, so he's I, absolutely so right. I popped, a, absolutely I popped right. a couple of pictures of me with cats on Instagram, and I haven't had one setup since. Score one for the Todd Meister. It all went downhill yeah. from there. And Honestly, I show them that picture, and they're not interested. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Works. <laughs> Look, uh, I, got too, I got too many irons in the fire to have somebody come in and say, whatever you're doing, you got to spend at least 40, half your time with me. All right, no. I'm, I'm, true man among men. Yes. It's Todd Cutin. Darn yes. straight. <laughs> Wait, it's not like it. I'll tell you. <laughs> what? We, we set these shows up, and they just go off the rails. I mean, not a little bit. They literally fall off the tracks. And then now i got to try to focus it back on the tracks. I don't know what to do. I think the only way we can do that is to get on with Case or No Case. All what right, do you think? I'll roll it. All right. Now All right. it's time to play Case or No Case. Yay! Remember, you can call us at 855-LAW-RADIO and tell us what you think about Case or No Case. If it's a case and whether or not what the outcome is, or you can tweet us at Radio Law Talk. Now, remember, a lot of you don't want to be on the air, and that's okay. And so we have a lot of people that tweet us, or a lot of times Cal will take the call or Don on our call screener, and you can just say it, and then you don't have to be on the air. But let's find out what this case or no case is to see if Denise and I can get more points, because we each got two points last time. That's right. And then Cal, but anyway, so we're... We're, we're building our momentum, Denise and I. Go ahead, Cal. And this should be in your wheelhouse, Fred. Uh-oh. Another musical case or no case, this one involving Joyce Hilda Hatto, an English concert pianist and piano teacher who married a guy named William Barrington Coop, a record producer in 1956. She was pretty good, but she was not a true virtuoso. Then, later in their marriage, she became ill, terminally ill, while uh, advancing in toward her 70s. And her husband, Mr. Coop, decided that he should make his wife a star before she died. So he started selling, recording her and selling her CDs worldwide to make a piano-playing celebrity out of his dying spouse before the end came. When critics heard her play, they marveled at her skill, especially, they said, for a woman in her 70s. Then, sadly, at the age of 77, Joyce Hatto died. Sometime thereafter, just a few months after, Gramophone, her record label, became suspicious because a sharp-eared engineer heard one of her pieces by list and thought, I've heard that exact same phraseology and keyboard work from another player. So he compared them. Then he started to look into her work more and more. Then he used a computer to do digital analysis and determined that the work sold as that of Joyce Hatto was actually a bunch of other recordings that had been snipped together by her record producer husband. Gramophone sought legal counsel. And so I ask you, and Fred, it's your turn to go first here. So I ask you, case or no case? What year was this? Gramophone is old. Yeah, the the actual marriage was in 1956. She passed in the early 2000s, and he died. Uh, well, actually, it all came to light in 2007. So there you go. 
Gramophone. I didn't know Gramophone was even in business still. The they call it Gramophone. Okay. We could Google that. I don't mm, know if they are. No, we can't Google. The rules are we cannot look anything up while we're receiving uh, uh, instruction from Cal. Despite Todd's best efforts to find a way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't look anything up case related. I, I you know, admittedly, I'm doing research and some things about stuff that will be coming up later, but nothing to do with. Okay. And, and the fact that. What is gramophone is typed into my Google account has There's no bearing. To do. Uh-huh. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I get suspicious sometimes about you, Todd. Okay, so uh, yeah, well, you know, ever since you post a cat photo, you know, that's what happens. <laughs> Not off the rails Can't anymore. Can't be trusted. Can't be trusted. Now, thankfully, the show's going along just fine. Going just so. great. Off the rails again. We have all these new listeners going. What the heck? Yeah. So <laughs> now, uh, so Fred. Yeah, one what, minute left. What do you and think I've, about I've, the curious case of yeah. the uh, the elderly piano? Well, I, I want to think about this a little bit during the break because that gives me a little bit of a, a, a edge that I can uh, make an opinion after the one-minute mark is done. And Todd, bringing up all his anecdotal issues here, uh, has thrown me off my game. That's how to do it, folks. Straight right now. I don't know. I'm a little confused. I'm really upset. And I don't want to sound like an idiot because I'm a smart lawyer. So we're going to do it after the break when I have time to think, contemplate this very important case. Without it, I don't think I'll ever practice law again. Well, you won't get the spaghetti, that's for sure. Well, we'll be back after this with a bunch of numbskulls that can't keep on the rails. We'll be right back with more Radio Law Talk. Stay tuned. All advertising for legal services on Radio Law Talk is strictly for the state or states in which the advertiser is licensed. For more information, go to radiolawtalk.com. Not all law firms have extensive experience in all areas of the law. It's wise to look for firms that have knowledge and understanding in your particular area of concern. So go to ProLawFirms.com. They have listings of attorneys in key areas of practice, such as family law, estate planning, personal injury, bankruptcy, and so forth. When you're looking for a lawyer that has extensive experience in your particular area of need, go to ProLawFirms.com. That's ProLawFirms.com. ProLawFirms.com is not a law firm and does not endorse or recommend any specific law firm. The cost of getting rid of garbage is high, and recycling products is lucrative. If you're a business or know of a business that needs an individual compactor or baler, call Northwest Compacting at 888-201-0911. If you already have an industrial compactor, baler, or shredder and need service, don't forget to call Northwest Compacting at 888-201-0911. Northwest Compacting, your full-service industrial compacting and baling company. Read more about them at northwestcompacting.com. I am Cameron Levitt, Chief Operating Officer of Concussion Medical Clinic. California's first concussion medical clinic is now open. As concussions increase each year, there has never been a greater need for concussion specialists. Our physicians at Concussion Medical Clinic are board certified in pediatric neurology and sports medicine and have partnered with universities, hospitals, and rehab clinics to expedite the recovery process. Simply put, we are elevating the standard of care. When you need an expert concussion opinion, or concussion care, visit concussionmedicalclinic.com to schedule your appointment. 
Jason Ross back here with Fred Penny, managing attorney from Penny & Associates Injury Lawyers. Now, Fred, what type of cases are you dealing with now, and what sets you apart? Jason, we help people with all types of personal injury cases. We're former insurance company trial lawyers. We understand the other side, which gives us a distinct advantage over our competition. Remember, we don't get paid unless we win. That's Penny & Associates Injury Lawyers with locations throughout California. For a free consultation, go to pennylawyers.com or give them a call, 1-800-616-4... to get back to Radio Law Talk on RadioLawTalk.com and on your favorite radio station. We have a lot of favorite radio stations now. So uh, it's a case. There's a copyright issue here. And uh, the now who brought the lawsuit, Cal? Gramophone. It's gramophone wins. There you go. And I didn't say they brought a lawsuit. I said they sought legal counsel. I want to make oh, that very well, clear. Oh, well, the answer is, well, there's a, it's a case. So do well, if they sought legal counsel, I wouldn't know who would win or lose if they just sought legal counsel. I mean, that, that means did they make it a case? And you said yes, yes, yes and they, they won, so that's case. fair enough. Well, if they uh, didn't, we don't know if they won or not, but they, they I think they would win. All right, that's did. what I mean. All right, okay. uh, so Denise. Well, I don't know if Gramophone is Joyce's record label or if they are the record label for different um, entertainers. Remember, her husband w- was a producer. Uh, of records, and he was a producer for Gramophone. Now so, that I didn't know. So. Well, they, I'm flushing you out as we go. You got questions? I'll be glad to answer them as, as they come along. <laughs> it could be a breach of contract too, because um, if they were, were signing on for original works, right? It could be false advertising. Uh, it, it could be copyright or trademark infringement, perhaps. Um, he worked for uh, Gramophone. And I'm going to say that Gramophone didn't want to go through, have all the problems. It's, they never brought a case. No case. Interesting. All right. So you're saying that, yeah, Gramophone may have been upset. They were upset. They sought legal counsel. They resolved it between themselves. It never became a case. Okay. That's interesting. Because he worked for them. Good call. Uh, What do you say, Mr. Kunin? As if it mattered. (laughs) Uh, So I am going to say here... That, uh, well, hmm. You know, the thing about this case here is that there's nothing really remarkable about it. And that's the thing that scares me. This is just a, this is just a case where somebody put something out there. This is, this is like the, uh, the equivalent of what lip syncing today. Where it's like, ah, it's not your voice. That's so-and-so's voice on well, the radio. the emotional uh, hook is that he did it as his wife began to die from a terminal disease. That's the emotional hook out of all of this. Okay. All right. All right. Well, that's. that's so thank you for letting us know about how this hooks. Yeah, um, emotionally. Emotionally. <laughs> Cal has given us an emotional hooker. Great. Um, so I am going to say in this one, I'm actually going to go along with Denise and say, I just don't think this is a case. I think you are trying to do the triple whammy for us today, and this is the second leg in your triple whammy trifecta of no cases, and I think that this is not a case. Well, I don't before. think that's what Denise said. Denise didn't say it was no. Well, she said it I was. I said factually it's true, but they never got to court, so it was no case. Okay. And, and you're just saying I made I'm the whole thing I'm just saying you made the whole thing Okay. May the fourth be with you all. May the fourth be with you. May the fourth be with you. We can say that every month. Uh, right. Well, every May. No. Every May. Well, May. And well, if, if, if there's a fourth of every month, so can't we but say. Not, but not every month is, the, is May. May. 
May. Today's May the 4th. So we could say the June 5th. the 4th be with you, but it's just not the same ring. Oh, I get it. <laughs> <Yes>. May 4th. <laughs> okay. yeah. We have brilliant, brilliant lawyers on this. Uh, this is Radio Law Talk. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, no, Denise's client roster just <laughs> dropped drop by half. Oh, no. Denise, why did five of the clients just drop you? Huh? <laughs> uh, and, you know, this has been an interesting segment. Apparently, anybody in trial against Fred now knows that they call it Mr. Fluffles is the cat that's going to take him off oh, his game. Throwing me off. <laughs> oh, what the heck is what that? What the heck? I forgot what torts are. Ah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so off the rails again. Uh, case or no case? The uh, did the did the husband put out cobbled together recordings of other artists representing it as his wife's work? The answer to that question is uh, yes, he did. Yes. So it is a case. That's correct. It is in fact a true set of facts. Did Gramophone get together to find it out the way I told you? Yes, he did. Uh, and the real question is, did they pursue the matter beyond that? Because Denise says no. Fred says yes. Todd says, yeah, you made the whole thing up. Well, I didn't make it up. I'm sorry. You're done. Todd, you're out, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so the circumstances are true. Her husband did all the editing, splicing and dicing to make his wife happy in her waning hours on earth. He claims she really did record all of the pieces, but just not as well as the ones that he found of other artists that were either long since dead or, you know, that they had lying around that they didn't (laughs) use or whatever. The fraud did not come to light until 2007, more than six months after she died. And as Denise uh, presumed, Gramophone did not press charges. The husband continued to sell the illicit CDs. He later came clean. He apologized. Mr. Coop said that he'd given up worrying about possible legal consequences, said, I didn't think I've hurt anybody. In fact, I made people aware, I guess, of artists that they'd never long since gone, whatever. The Herefordshire Police Force said it will take action if somebody complains who's a copyright holder of the work that he plagiarized. No one ever did. Barrington Coop died in their home in Royston, England, 19th October 2014, and there you have it. Two wow, points Denise. for Denise, one for Fred. You not only nailed it, you hit it like yeah. right on the head. Wow. I'm going to make Sarah proud today. <laughs> Sarah. <laughs> Sarah is your sister, right? No, Sarah is the person that um, emailed me a while back. Oh, oh that's right. The that's one that said right. you were the smartest one. Yes. Well, see, she remembers that. Wow. <laughs> and, Fred, and Fred's like, where's the cat? <laughs> I want to go off the rail. Here. I'm ready to go off the rail. That is case or no case for this hour. Next hour... The case of the unwanted race car. So we'll do that next hour on case or no case. Let's talk about bones. What I, you know? I don't watch TV that often. I it's because I'm so busy. I do it in the evenings. But what is this? Tell me about bones, Todd. You so, know what? What's it about? So bones is a. Uh, Oh, it's one of these detective shows that was on Fox, ran for about 12 seasons, and I believe it was like one of the most popular, or if not the most popular and successful show uh, in Fox history and all that. And there was a lawsuit, and the long and short of it is people claimed that Fox was doctoring the numbers to get out of paying um, those that were entitled to royalties a certain amount. The case went to arbitration, and it ended up, the arbitrator ruled 
in favor of the plaintiffs to the tune of $178.7 million, and it includes punitive damages. And when we come back, we are going to talk about how that award was substantially curtailed because of the actions of the mediator, Fred. The arbitrator. arbitrator. Yeah, and we're going to try to stay on the rails this time. So, so uh, join us back live. So stay with us, guys. We'll be back to talk about arbitration. Bottom of the hour break coming up. We'll be back after that. All advertising for legal services on Radio Talk is strictly for the state or states in which the advertiser is licensed. For more information, go to radiolawtalk.com. Jason Ross back here with Fred Penny, managing attorney from Penny & Associates Injury Lawyers. Now, Fred, what type of cases are you dealing with now, and what sets you apart? Jason, we help people with all types of personal injury cases. We're former insurance company trial lawyers. We understand the other side, which gives us a distinct advantage over our competition. Remember, we don't get paid unless we win. That's Penny & Associates Injury Lawyers with locations throughout California. For a free consultation, go to pennylawyers.com or give them a call 1-800-616-4LAW. That's P-E-N-N-E-Y lawyers.com. This is Denise Dirks. We can represent clients in divorce, legal separation, child and spousal support, custody, termination of parental rights, step-parent adoptions, guardianships, and even conservatorship matters. Call 1-877-886-7186 for a consultation. The law offices of Denise L. Dirks provide family law services in Northern California. When the law affects your family, call 877-886-7186. The family of attorneys at Denise L. Dirks is here to help. Not all law firms have extensive experience in all areas of the law. It's wise to look for firms that have knowledge and understanding in your particular area of concern. So go to ProLawFirms.com. They have listings of attorneys in key areas of practice, such as family law, estate planning, personal injury, bankruptcy, and so forth. When you're looking for a lawyer that has extensive experience in your particular area of need, go to ProLawFirms.com. That's ProLawFirms.com. ProLawFirms.com is not a law firm and does not endorse or recommend any specific law firm. Hi, I'm Frederick Penny of Penny & Associates Injury Lawyers. I bet you're tired of hearing lawyer commercials. So just relax and listen to music for a few seconds. When you or a family member has been injured, call 800-616-4LAW or see us at pennyandassociates.com. Go to the website, radiolawtalk.com. You can listen to the show there, and there's a lot of other good information, too. That's radiolawtalk.com. Yeah, this Bones thing, it's just a little minor, you know, thing that the lawyers argued. $128 million reduction in the verdict uh, from the arbitration. That is a huge victory. I mean, you're talking, all right, we're going, uh, let me just see if I can get another $128 million knocked off your case. And they did. And there's reasons why they did that. Why Bones, uh, really, uh, the Fox producers of Bones did not have to pay that. Yeah, so, so if you get back to the underlying arbitration here, that proceeding, that was done before an arbitrator named Peter Lich. And Lichman issued a 66-page ruling in favor of the plaintiffs that that basically ordered 50 million in damages, 128 million in punitive damages, um, and you know you. 
it's a lot of money here. That that's comprised the bulk of the 179 million dollar award. And but in the opinion, the one of the reasons for the punitive damages was that Lichman said, writes this out here, that the arbitrator is convinced that perjury was committed by the Fox witnesses to justify what they did. So it wasn't just that they did what they did to arguably defraud or to to keep people from getting the money, but then they came into the arbitration forum and lied about what they did to try to cover up their wrongdoings. And and that might have been the basis for the punitive damages. But then we have to get into whether or not punitive damages were even recoverable to begin with. But Fred. So the issue is here. So generally speaking, again, we're talking very general. Check your state, your local lawyers. In in a, in a contract, it's almost impossible to win punitive damages. Punitive damages generally are like a clear and convincing evidence uh, that, that, that someone acted with malice, oppression, or fraud, and, and it's very high standard. And so they're, they're pretty rare that you get punitive damages. And that's why... You know, this one just all of a sudden, just just on that one, you got a you got a gut check. But you brought up where, why the arbitrator might have said, you know what, there is punitive damages. Because they, they lied, they're fraudulent. Yes, but the question I have, Fred, for you, um, it's not not rhetorical, legitimate. Yes. I don't. So if you have a contract that doesn't say anything about whether punitive damages are recoverable, right? Then your standard that you just enunciated about being clear and convincing evidence of malice and and everything would apply in a situation like that. But what do you do in, does that even apply, what I'm asking here, in a situation where you have a contract that explicitly spells out punitive damages are not recoverable in this action? And that's what happened in this And case. that's what happened yes. here. That's so, a damage to this contract. Yes. yes. So, so that's what happens mm-hmm. here. You know, the, the question becomes, well, if, if the arbitrator believed that they came in and perjured themselves, it, you know, look, if you're lying about it, that tends to make me think that you knew what was going on then. That, to me, would support the clear and convincing standard of malice. And that would all be great if we were dealing with a contract where punitive damages were recoverable. But does it even matter in a case where the contract contract says, King's X, you don't get punitive damages, and both sides already agreed upon it. Now, this case came before the court as a breach of contract case, and then it had an arbitration clause in it, so then it went to arbitration. When you go into arbitration, it can be binding or it can be non-binding arbitration. We don't really know if this was binding or non-binding. I suspect it was not um, binding because what happened, the posture to get it back to the court was the decision comes down from the arbitrator and one party, the, the uh, not Fox, but the other side, um, brings a motion to enter and adopt this award as the judgment of the court. And the other side, Fox, then brought a uh, request to correct and amend the judgment to get rid of the punitive damages. So the interesting part about that is that the court said, I mean, it could be very well be possible that Fox did not raise the issue of no punitive damages in the contract in the arbitration, but in the trial court, they can. Yeah, They can inter- absolutely raise it. What's interesting to me, if I, and I'm going to jump on the other side, I think it may have been binding, and all they do is go to the court and just to, to validate it. Okay, yeah, you put their stamp on it. You know what I mean? Because it, it, it's it, an arbitration will usually be filed with that court that's local. Here's the arbitration. And let me tell you, courts love 
arbitrations. Why do they love arbitrations? Because they don't have to deal with it. They are, they're too busy. They're stacked with work, and that's one less case they got to deal with. Yes, go over here now. This arbitrator, which usually Denise and Todd is a former lawyer, retired judge, retired lawyer that that hears it, and that's what the courts like. So, so what we have here, just to get everybody, we've, we've thrown around a lot of terms. Okay. Uh, so what, where we are at, and, and the reason this case came up, is you've got the arbitration, you've got the arbitration award, the arbitrator was Mr. Lichman, and then both sides oh, I know him. both <laughs> sides filed with the L.A. County Superior Court. It went before Judge Rico, and, and the plaintiffs, the ones that wanted the money, said, Judge Rico, we want you to uh, confirm the award. And the defendants, Fox, said, no, we want you to modify the award to take out punitive damages because they're not recoverable. All we know at this point is that Judge Rico issued what's called a minute order. It's a small snippet that says, okay, this is what I'm going to order. We don't have his full order, but in the minute order, it said motion to confirm the award, that is motion to give you all $179 million, is denied. Motion to correct the award is granted. Punitive damages shall be stricken from the award. The award will be corrected and confirmed as so modified. And so basically, it appears that Judge Rico is saying, I have looked at your contract that you have argued. The contract clearly says that punitive damages are not recoverable. Therefore, regardless of what he found, Mr. Lichman didn't have the authority to order $128 million. That will be stricken, and we're moving forward there. Yeah, there's two things we have to understand, those of you out there uh, listening about these arbitrations. Generally speaking, again, we always say generally speaking, arbitrators have a lot of deference. Courts give them a lot of deference to, to hey, they can allow this evidence in, that evidence. They can make it so they don't even need to, to, to have foundation, what's called a foundation built. It just depends on the arbitrator. And I think that's where the arbitrator was thinking here is, okay, I, I'm still in charge, and I have a lot of deference what to do. But my question is, how do you miss this dead-on obvious thing in the agreement that both parties agreed to is no punitive damages. How do you miss that? Um, because the, the arbitrator concluded that the um, plaintiffs in this matter had not waived their right to punitive damages. So there, even if there's a provision in the contract, you have to still... Um, decide whether or not that provision is valid or void against public policy oh. or some other kind of thing. We don't know yet, but that's what they, the plaintiff said. This only deals with whether or not our clients waived this right. We, we're going to appeal it. We're going to let the Court of Appeals decide it. And then Fox in return said the court did it right. You know, they, they, they took away the punitive damages. And, and let's look at how much time determining punitive damages might have taken out of the arbitration. Let's assume the arbitration lasted a week. You know, maybe it's longer, maybe less, but we're just going to call it five days, a week-long arbitration. The evidence about whether or not folks were defrauded and whether or not Fox um, gave false numbers or whatever, you know, that's probably going to take the first four days of arbitration. And then the arbitrator makes a determination based upon the facts about whether or not this occurred. And then at the end, they determine, okay, well, what's this worth? And and maybe they raise the issue about, I mean, if look, if I'm the Fox lawyers, I raise the issue first. Judge, you can't award punitive damages. Our defense, it says right here, you can't do that. And I think the judge 
probably heard that. I'm, I'm just speculating here, but I could see the judge kind of like taking a provisional in golf. If I can't find my ball, this is the one I'm going to play. And so the same thing here would be, well, I'm going to make this determination. If it gets stricken, it gets stricken. If it doesn't, this is the basis for my award. It doesn't take a whole lot out of the arbitration process. They didn't spend days on it. Yes. But this is what we have, and my guess is on appeal, they will be making the arguments as about whether or not that provision was void against public policy. Maybe we didn't have the right to contest it. Maybe it was an unconscionable clause. You guys just said take it or leave it, and we had right. to sign it. Who knows? All the defenses will come into play, but what we know will be at stake is whether or not ultimately, on appeal from this going forward, um, what's at stake is whether or not Fox is going to have to pay $179 million or $59 million or whatever it is 50, after the... Yeah, yeah. agree. Fox, uh, Fox Agreed. wins on appeal. That's just my, uh, my my take on it, generally speaking. I think that uh, this is so blatant. Obvious. It's not like these two people were farmers pushing their plow and, and, and sign this. I will put nickels on this, that they each had lawyers when they signed these contracts. They had knowledge of this phrase, and it's not like anyone was duped. And I will say that I agree with you, but one thing we haven't talked about is if the arbitrator determined that they perjured themselves under oath during the arbitration, what is going to happen going forward on that separate case, perjury during arbitration, and maybe they try to settle it somehow. I think they're going to settle it. That's exactly where I'm coming from. They'll appeal it, and there'll be a settlement somewhere in between. Okay, we'll be right back. Uh, We're going to talk about Michael Jackson, Neverland. (laughs) Stay with us. All advertising for legal services on Radio Law Talk is strictly for the state or states in which the advertiser is licensed. For more information, go to radiolawtalk.com. Radio Law Talk. Now back to the show. Is that is that high enough? I, oh, I can't see. I can't. There's Todd. You have cats. I don't, so I can't get that. Yes, high. yes, yes. Michael Jackson. We've talked about Neverland for this Neverland HBO. Leaving uh, Neverland. Yeah, leaving it. That was about a month ago. It, it was on HBO. That's right. It's. I mean, you can still get it because they have their on-demand stuff. But this was the this was the story that focused on two individuals who told their story and and alleged molestation by Michael Jackson and it occurring at ages I believe the boys were um, 8 and 11 what they weren't together it was different times for different boys but they gave their stories and you know look the stories are not without um, challenges to the credibility both of these individuals I believe when Michael Jackson was being sued back in the mid 2000s uh, or was being prosecuted said nothing happened and now they're coming forward to say that it did so the stories have changed and you know they talked about that you know why they said what they said and when they said what they said but yeah, it's brought out here yeah the one issue I want to bring up that's very important and and uh, the allegations because you know here's a person that's no longer uh, alive that, that you know he can't defend himself. But his estate is saying that now when they came and testified, these young boys, they were not young boys when they testified. They were in their 20s when they testified, and they testified and said, no, nothing happened. So it's not like, okay, well, a little boy testified when he was eight, and, you know, that's a little boy, and I get it that he didn't, you know, he didn't want to say anything. But they're in their 20s, and they're testifying on behalf of him, Michael Jackson, saying that he didn't do anything inappropriate. Now they changed their mind. 
which is, by the way, the lawsuit that they sued, they had lost, and it was up on appeal, and they had lost that lawsuit. Now this Neverland, uh, you know, by HBO. So so what's happening is that um, the Jackson estate is suing HBO for um, depicting Michael Jackson out in a very bad way, and they're trying to invoke a 26-year-old contract that Jackson had signed with HBO. And in that contract, um, they it requires arbitration. And in that contract, there was a secrecy and non-disparagement provision in that contract that the estate's trying to enforce against HBO. Hold on. Just explain what non-disparagement is. Just so that's where you can't are. hold somebody out in a bad light. You can't say anything that's negative about their life or their career or their profession. And uh, arguably, um, leaving Neverland, that show held Michael Jackson out in a bad light. So, you know, this raises a couple of questions. The first one is, well, how come they're not just going forward on a straight defamation of character theory? And one of the things that's pointed out here is that when somebody dies, they have a diminished, they have a diminished capacity to, 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 you know, defend their character. They're dead. All right. So it's how do you show damages? You're going forward, and so a person who's dead doesn't necessarily have def- defamation rights the That's same right. way that somebody who's alive would have. And so the Jackson estate had to find a different way to bring the lawsuit. And this this art this agreement that you're talking about. Now this is very common to get publicity for new albums that come out and stuff. Stars will often sign deals to have somebody follow them around and do the behind the. St- scenes thing and maybe uh, do this in a, in addition to a concert that comes out and they have all this stuff and HBO had signed on to follow Michael Jackson and do a, a promotion of his album Dangerous when that came out and that was back in the early 90s and as part of that and you can see why the Jackson team would want this if you're going to follow around we don't want anything disparaging for us to come out and so there was a non-disparagement clause in that agreement for the production of of that show that surrounded the release of the Dangerous album and H and and the Jackson estate is essentially arguing that that non-disparagement clause agrees goes on forever and ever and and HBO is saying yeah that one stopped when we were done with that production and if that production and what we did in that production did not uh, violate that agreement then we we're not in breach but it doesn't go on in perpetuity that's exactly what that's the perfect way to describe it Todd that is a perfect way to describe it could we get that on a loop uh, Cal (laughs) no that is the perfect way to describe it Todd that just doesn't happen very often if she said it about Fred it would be. It would know, be on a loop. Yeah, be, yeah. Be, be. Like, I'm, I'm still worried seconds. about being off the rails. <laughs> okay, so, all right. If we're on the rails. I'm just worried about going in, off. In a what loop about off the rails? That's a perfect way to describe it, Fred. Yeah, but that. But, but that <laughs> you just got three loops. <laughs> all right. So but, anyway, but, that, but we're 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 following this. This is something we've been following this HBO fight with Michael Jackson estate. And by the way, Michael Jackson's estate after he passed away. The amount of money that came in and and his records and his music and everything just vaulted, just did very well. And uh, but this is this was a very disparaging thing on Michael Jackson. And and it does as a lawyer, you know, and even as a person listening to this, you just kind of have to like turn your you kind of turn your head like the dog when you blow the whistle and say they were in their twenties when they said nothing happened. 
It, why? And then they said nothing happened when they were earlier as kids. So twice they say that, and I'm being the devil's advocate, and now they're saying, oh, my gosh, they bring lawsuits. They, they bring in it for money, and they lose. They lose on the appellate court. And, oh, by the way, let's go ahead and do this Neverland uh, interview. And, and, I don't and, know. And, my, and my response, it, look, I'm, I'm – I don't think anything that we put out here is the smoking gun, this will win the case for them. I mean, Fred just articulated what I think is a very valid argument on behalf of uh, the Jackson estate undermining the credibility of these folks. I think the argument that's made on the other side is this. I agree that in the case of one of them, Mr. Robson, Let's look at him. He was, if you ever saw that show, So You Think You Can Dance, it was on Fox. It was the dance competition that was Mm -hmm. similar to American Idol. He was one of the coaches for the dance couples, the choreographers that would work with these folks. He was also a guest judge. Some of his um, career is directly attributed to the influence of Michael Jackson coming forward. And back in the 2000s, Jackson's still a hot commodity. You get his album that he died while preparing for the tour was, was coming up in, uh, later on in that decade. And his argument would be, if I had come out and told the truth about Michael Jackson, given the way people that were critical of Jackson by the hip-hop community and the record community, that would have been career suicide for me. And so I felt pressure to testify the way that I did. That's for him. And the other uh, gentleman who basically came back and testified contrary could make similar arguments because, let's let's not forget, he was an actor at the time. He's the one that was commercial with Michael Jackson. And so they can still claim that it was the pressure that was put upon them, given the industry that they were in that was their livelihood, that they felt compelled to support Michael Jackson, because if you went against him, they'd be a pariah. Again, not saying that's a smoking gun, not saying that that justifies, if they testified in court after taking their oath, clear perjury. Um, but that's the argument that they're going to make. I, uh, if, if I were to put on my speculation hat, I don't think that the Jackson estate is going to prevail on they're this. They're not. They're not. I don't think so because they're argue- they just want to get into arbitration so they can yes. try to get some money out of it. And th- right now, it's the court that has to decide whether or not the arbitra- the arbitration even can go forward because um, because the, does this little incident of leaving Netherland arise out of the contract such that the jurisdiction is with the arbitration, um, uh, what is it, AAA, or American, yeah, American Arbitration, arbitration Association. Association? And I think that that is a legal decision, and I don't think the arbitration itself can make that decision. Well, I'll tell you right now, uh, we're talking about it. Everyone else is talking about it. Someone's making money on it because they're getting a lot of publicity, and probably everybody's making money on this, and it's helped HBO. Doesn't this smell a bit of desperation from the Jackson? in a state because obviously the cash cow that they've been relying on the Jackson family you know the whole Michael Jackson thing they're not getting any money out of this I mean his sales are down everything's down about him uh, doesn't this smell a little bit of a desperate bunch of people trying to get free money my take on it is from their perspective they sat back and said nothing and remained completely silent on that they feel that would be taken as a tacit admission of guilt on his part and even though they know they're going to lose they have to say something so that it doesn't look like they're admitting he's and, and I, and in all honesty, a person's dead they can't defend themselves and you know what 
It's all about money, right? It's all about money. And I get it. I get it. We're lawyers. That's what we do. Hey, we're excited that you joined us for this uh, wonderful Radio Law Talk while Todd takes us out dancing. I'm Fred Penny, your host. Hour number three of Radio Law Talk is coming up. Don't go away. You have been listening to RadioLawTalk.com, a copyrighted presentation of Radio Law Talk Incorporated. (laughs) 